Thank you, Drew, for those prayers, and good morning, church. Did anybody not get their favorite seat today? Because it was funny to see people come into their usual seat, and the other service, somebody filled it. So it's great to uh, get here early for your favorite seats. There are a couple of seats up front here for those that might be coming in now. Um, as well. Well, you are in for a treat today, and that treat is not me. Um, we have a guest speaker. His name is Tom Allen, and Tom is an executive director with InterVarsity. InterVarsity is a ministry that works on college and university campuses in the U.S., really bringing the gospel to the student population. I have a special place in my heart for this ministry because Erica, years ago, was ministered to by InterVarsity when she was in Chicago, and it was a huge part of her um, just life in the university and made a big difference in her life. Tom is brother-in-law to Pastor Brenda and Lance. Um, his wife, Denise, of 37 years, is here with him as well. They have two adult children. You are in for a treat today. Let's welcome Tom Allen to the stage. Thank you, Wade. It's a joy to be here. So it's my... Uh fourth day in Hong Kong. So I'm uh, visiting with my wife, Denise, uh, her brother, Lance, and our sister-in-law, Brenda. And it, we knew we'd be able to be here on a Sunday, and it's a joy to be in worship together. And I just was moved by uh, the songs and either your leadership and the songs we sang this morning, that we could come together and be here expecting the Spirit uh, to meet us and to move, and that our hearts just are uh, being opened in praise and hallelujahs to the Lord. So, so wonderful to be here in Hong Kong and be here in worship together. So that's my greatest joy for this morning. Um, so Pastor Wade and I, we both, I uh, was uh, online the last uh, few weeks, kind of listening to some of the sermons and getting to know more of the church that Brenda's been a part of and serving here. And he and I both went to the same seminary in California and share a common root there and then as well. I found out this morning about this common root with his wife involved in the student ministry. So I work in a student ministry uh, and have been doing that for 30 plus years and in, in the U.S. And one of the things that I'm most excited about that I'm involved in in this student ministry is that in the United States, there are about 40% of the, the, uh, the colleges in the United States have no Christian fellowship on them. There's no Christian community on about 40% of the colleges. And what I have the privilege of being involved in, and one big part of my job, is a partnership with now over 100 Christian organizations, denominations, and ministries in the U.S. that have decided to seek God for revival and to see gospel movements launched on those 40% of the campuses where there's no Christian community at all, and to join hands together to work in an collaborative ways that, I, in, at least in the U.S., among campus ministries and churches, we haven't seen before. So that's a real gift and privilege that I get to be involved in in this season of my life in ministry is to see that kind of collaboration uh, and joining together. And my gosh, doesn't that reflect the beauty and the, the, the power of the Lord Jesus? And we need more of that in, in the U.S., um, as I come to preach today and be with you, I'm excited about the, the, set, the, the series you've been doing with Galatians. Um, Paul talks, as you've been studying through Galatians, about being freed from a life that's under the law to live a life of faith. Uh, and in Galatians 2, you might think back to sermons a few uh, weeks back where Paul said this. It's one of my favorite verses in Galatians and in the Scripture I have been crucified with Christ. 
and it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave his life for me. Hallelujah. What a wonderful verse. Today, I'm wanting to kind of intersect the series on Galatian, which is about living by faith. And I want to portray uh, two people, one from Scripture and one from my life experience, who lived by faith, that we might be able to see some images of what does it mean to live by faith at this point in juncture in your your work uh, in, in teaching through Galatians. When I think about living by faith and about risking and living by faith, one of the things that uh, immediately comes to mind is an experience I had at a camp where we went and participated with some students on something called a ropes course. Have any of you ever been a part of a ropes course? It's a, uh, it's a, a thing that at least got developed in the States maybe 20, 25 years ago. It's a series of high elevation things that you climb and you climb on ropes, you do it together, you do it alone, you climb poles, and you uh, get in a place where you're feeling kind of vulnerable and you're risking. Um, let, me, uh, let me show you. Well, I was going to show you a picture of my family here first, so let me do that. I wanted to, uh, am I going the right way? Am I going the wrong way? Oh, I'm going the wrong way. And this <laughs> <laughs> it's mainly because I'm pointing it towards me. So there we go. <laughs> All right, Eugene, he's kind of taking over for me. Thank you. So <laughs> this is my family. I wanted to highlight them as we got going. So my wife, Denise, is here, and our two uh, sons and their two wives and our granddaughter, Talia. So uh, that's our family, and it's, uh, it's a joy. We just came from Korea where we were with my older son and his daughter and wife, whose her father's a pastor in Korea, and we got a chance to spend a week over there with them before coming here. So let me keep going here. So the, um, take a look at that picture there. Um, that's a platform 100 feet above the ground. And in this uh, ropes experience, you climb a pole in one of the, the elements, and uh, you climb, and then you have to get down. And the way you get down is by jumping from that platform to a hanging trapeze bar that's six feet away from where you're standing. Hopefully, you grab it. But if you don't, you're on belay, and there's a person down below that's helping you kind of protect you so that you can uh, get to the ground without getting hurt. I, I did that. I climbed to that. I looked out. I looked down. I stopped looking down, and then I looked out, and I realized that uh, I would need to jump to a trapeze bar, which I did. I held it, and then I realized the only way down was to let go. <laughs> so I let go of the, of the, uh, uh, of the pole, and dropped 100 feet to the ground and landed because the woman that was helping me with the rope, she just had me land like a feather right on my backside, and I landed on the ground. But when I think about faith, I think about the confidence I had to have in this woman that was holding me kind of my life in her hands with this rope as I jumped from this bar, and that was an experience that I had at this camp. And one of the people I want to tell you about today that's a model for me of a person of faith, Faith that risks, faith that, faith that puts confidence in Jesus, he was with me at this experience. And I want to share about him today. But first, I want to share about, uh, should I use this? Okay, so use this instead. Very good. I want to share uh, from Scripture about a woman who lived by faith and took some risks to encounter Jesus. 
Read with me. I'll read, but listen along as I read from Mark 5, verses 25 to 34. Now, there was a woman who'd been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She'd endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. She was no better, but she grew worse. She'd heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, for she said, if I but touch his clothes, I'll be made well. Immediately, her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. He said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. The first observation I make when I read this story and look at this text is that faith arises from a desperate condition. Faith arises from a desperate condition. Let me just say a few things about this woman's life so that we can enter into her world. One is that she was a woman. Uh, So her suffering in some sense in culture was because of her gender and it was social. Um, In first century Palestine, women were largely regarded as subordinate and inferior to men in every way. The typical Jewish woman married in her teens. She had no education. She remained in the home. She did not largely take part in public activities. She didn't engage in conversation with men. She didn't know how to read or to write, couldn't be a witness in a legal proceeding, and on and on. And in the culture, a woman's life was not what we would experience in many places today. It was a life of restriction and limitation in a life in which there was a great deal of suffering. Uh, A common prayer of the period was, by men, blessed is he that did not make me a woman. So part of her suffering in culture was simply the challenge of being a woman in first century Palestine. Secondly, some of her suffering was physical. The big picture in the story as we read the passage is that she was sick. It said that she had been bleeding and had a flow of blood for 12 years. The sense from the scriptures that she was having uh, her menstrual cycle on and on and on without release for 12 years. I can only imagine what that would be like in first century Palestine. The discomfort, the pain, the bloating. Um, They didn't have feminine hygiene products. Um, We can imagine what it required of her to be able to live with that condition year after year after year. And the text says that physicians had not been able to help her, but in fact had made her condition worse. So her suffering was social, her suffering was physical, her suffering was also religious, and it was relational. Um, the law in Leviticus 18 tells us that at this time of the, of a woman's, uh, of the month, for a woman in a menstrual cycle, that she was considered unclean, and that she would need to be uh, apart for that season, for that time, from the community of faith. And that she wouldn't be able to go to temple, she wouldn't be able to be with others, that she was considered in a sense unclean and would have to go through some rituals in order to be considered clean after that time of the month. And so for this woman, that time of the month 
kept going on and on and on. So she was separated, uh, alienated from the community of faith, the community that where her friendships were, people that she would have known and otherwise interacted with on a regular basis. The text doesn't make any mention of family or of husband. Um, those were the badges of personhood, really, for a woman in first century Palestine in Jewish culture. Alone and unknown, really, her sickness, in a sense, was her only companion. So here she is. She's suffering from uh, physical. She's suffering from religious. She's suffering from rel relational um, situations. And then uh, her suffering was also economic, and her suffering was uh, emotional. So the text says she'd endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. She was probably poor, impoverished. Any money that she had had been spent on doctors. Um, and emotionally, how did she feel? Angry, humiliated? Certainly she was alienated from others, alone. She was really dying a slow death, probably anemic. Her suffering was economic and emotional. And then she heard about Jesus. Let me tell you about my friend Peter, who was at the camp, which I jumped off that 100-foot pole with me. Peter was a student in a Christian fellowship when he was in college. Peter had multiple cirrhosis. He walked with a limp. His uh, hips had not fused properly. And so he had a significant gait that he walked with that made it difficult for him to do physical things. Uh, he, uh, his nerves were not in good shape. And he'd lived with that for pretty much his whole life. He was part of this Christian community on campus. Uh, but in his time in high school, in Christian schools, in the church, uh, he had had something of the same experience as this woman. Alone, alienated, rejected. Um, his friends in high school, friends, uh, they never wanted him to participate with them in the activities of the school. You'll make our team lose. He lived a life, even in a Christian environment, in which he was schooled, in which he was alone and separate. And he just sort of had managed to figure out how to make peace with that, how to be friends, in a sense, with his condition, and be able to live uh, always looking for acceptance, always looking for a way to kind of find his way into a group of people that would accept him. He came to college, and he joined this Christian fellowship. And so he was at this camp. And we had come together as a group to do something that was actually quite physical, is to participate with this ropes course. And so Peter saw that. He saw the obstacles that would be there for him. And so he declined to participate, especially in the team portion, in which folks would help one another. Everyone there had their own limitations. Peter's obviously was greater. But he withdrew and said, no, I'm not going to participate. And I can still remember being there with him and watching him as he walked back to his cabin. And I felt the, the pain and the challenge of what was happening for him as he decided to withdraw from what we were doing together at that camp. Well, when he went back to his cabin, he too began to hear about Jesus. Let's look at the text and see what further what happens when uh, faith that risks hears about Jesus. In the text, it says that the woman had heard about Jesus. If you were to read Mark chapter 1 through 5, you would see a number of situations where Jesus is healing, casting out demons, and engaging people uh, in his ministry, and that the news about him was spreading. 
At the end of, uh, at the middle of Mark chapter 5, he actually casts some demons uh, uh, into some pigs. It's a story that's right before, shortly before this passage. But it says that the pig, the, the pig farmers, the pig tenders, they had gone and spread the news all about Jesus. And that's uh, kind of the pattern that we see in the first part of the Gospel of Mark. Jesus ministering and the news about him going forth. So the woman had heard some things about Jesus. Uh, did she believe that he was the living God in human flesh? The text doesn't give us an indication that she had that kind of information or that she understood that. What she did have was information about what Jesus had done in the lives of different people. So we see in the text that Jesus, that the woman is engaging um, uh, what she'd heard about Jesus, and it's stirring something inside her. And what it stirs inside her is some level of belief, some level of confidence that Jesus might have something for her. Today, the way I look at it, she was in this day experiencing some kind of a spiritual transaction. So she had heard many things, and over many days, maybe it had not impacted her. But on this day, what she had heard began to impact her life. A spiritual transaction was taking place inside her. Information was turning into some kind of transformation inside of her. An earlier skepticism that she might have had about this Jesus, that was gone. Any kind of simple curiosity that she had had was morphing into some kind of a conviction going on inside of her. Mere openness to this Jesus that she had heard about was now turning into some kind of seeking. Desperation was being replaced by hope, and this Jesus with the power to heal was becoming the Jesus who could conceivably heal her. That's what we see at this point of the story. I expect many of us here today have also heard a lot about Jesus. Some of us here may be skeptical about his claims. Some of us here may be merely curious. We've moved beyond skepticism, but we're interested. We're curious about Jesus. We haven't said, I want him to be the leader of my life, but I am curious about how this Jesus is. And I expect that many of us here have made a decision that we want Jesus to be the one who leads our lives in every way. The faith we see ignited in this story is being fueled by what this woman heard about Jesus and by her self-awareness and knowledge of her condition. And we would see from the rest of Scripture, I believe, the move of the Spirit that's mixing in with her self-awareness and her consciousness about who Jesus is to turn something inside of her heart that's making her story intersect with Jesus' story in a way that hasn't happened for her before. That's what happened in un, an unmistakable way for my friend Peter also when he went back to his cabin. So imagine him with friends participating at this camp that he's back alone in his cabin. My friend Peter, he had heard a lot about Jesus when he had grown up. Church, Sunday school, Christian camps, Christian school. And on that morning when he'd said no to the team elements on that ropes course and walked back to his cabin... He told me later that he was just overwhelmed by his desperate condition, by three things. He said he was overwhelmed by the relentless desire that he realized to please others, that it characterized his life, the cultural pressure to perform, and fear of rejection. Peter had always told others that, oh, I don't, I don't need to participate. I just like to watch. 
uh, it's fun to cheer everyone on. But in reality, he would say, that actually wasn't true. That was pretense. The painful memories of rejection, of not measuring up, welled up inside him on that day with their familiar force. As he watched others prepare for the elements of this ropes course and to participate, he experienced the familiar reflex that he experienced many other times in his life to withdraw, to pretend, to self-protect. But then he decided to pray. Maybe he prayed because he's at a Christian camp and it was the right thing to do. Maybe he felt truly desperate that day to be free from the identity that he'd been carrying over many years. Maybe something in him that he had heard about Jesus in the past triggered, triggered a fresh type of response. And as he talked to God, Peter told me that day, something began to turn inside of him that beyond others' fears, beyond his fears of others' opinion and what others thought about him, three deeper questions started to emerge. He said, I began to think for the first time, Jesus, who do you say that I am? Not who do others say, but who do you actually say that I am? The second question he told me, he said, he began to pray, Jesus, will you free me? Would you actually free me? And then he said, I actually had to pray, Jesus, uh, do I want to really change? He told me, I'd become familiar with this pattern of withdrawal, of sort of separation, and of becoming accustomed to sort of the life I was living under these fears and rejection. And he said, I really needed to ask Jesus, do I want to change and risk what a new kind of experience of faith might be? For years, Peter had lived knowing the Jesus out there. And in this moment... What he'd heard about Jesus was morphing into a transaction where he was asking, would the Jesus out there be some the Jesus in here? Did Jesus have something that he actually wanted to give to me? So with an unusual kind of vulnerability, a, a fresh kind of clarity, he began to pray to Jesus about the possibility that Jesus would actually do something different in his life that day. He began to believe that Jesus wanted to exchange the life of fear that he had resigned himself to for a life of confidence and faith, a life marked by truth and forgiveness and joy and hope, a life lived in the flesh and a life lived by faith in the Son of God who loved him and gave himself for him, a life of new freedom. The other observation I make from the text as we move through it is that faith that risks asks encourage. The text says that the woman came up behind Jesus in the crowd. And it's right here at this point of the story that we see faith. Whatever this woman had heard about Jesus, it was now activated into a faith that risks. Her confidence in Jesus compelled her with courage to disregard the Levitical law, to leave her customary position at the back of the crowd where she would cry out, unclean, unclean, her identity as a woman that's carried this disease, and push her way through the crowd, touching and contaminating those in her path. As she did that, she was pressing and stepping beyond the boundaries of her culture. 
It's all very inappropriate in culture, but it was so appropriate for what this woman knew about Jesus. She was going. Faith that risks acts, acts in courage, and it acts by taking a step out, a step forward. Another observation I make from the text is that the faith that acts in courage in this text required her going and touching. The text says she touched his cloak. She reached out and touched. The word for touch in this passage in the original language is to take hold of. She acted deliberately, intentionally, earnestly, courageously to touch Jesus' cloak. She reached out and she grabbed for the cloak. In her head, if I but touch his cloak, I will be made well. Her coming, her touching, her grabbing, and her holding reflected her faith in Jesus. Her coming to Jesus and grabbing the cloak was her faith in Jesus. If someone wants you to tell them what faith in Jesus is, you can point them to the story and say, ah, here's faith. This is a picture of faith, her going, touching, and grabbing for the cloak of Jesus. That's what faith is in this passage. Well, for my friend Peter, a faith that risks, acted in courage also. So here he is alone in his room at the camp. There's a spiritual transaction going on inside him from what he had heard about Jesus, and I think the Spirit doing something new in him. And when we were at the camp that afternoon at the course, he decided that he too was going to touch the cloak of Jesus, metaphorically. That day, Jesus evicted him from his cheerleading post to actually being a participant in the life of the community and stepping into a new place of faith and confidence that Jesus wanted to do something new inside of him. He stepped through the crowd. He risked the reaction of friends. Faith acted in courage. So he came out. I saw. I remember seeing him come out. He's limping because that's his normal gait. And he stands at the bottom of a 35-foot pole. Not the 100-foot pole that I showed you a picture of earlier, but 35 feet is pretty high if you're looking down. He's at the bottom of that pole. He's hooked to a rope now in a belay line with a woman from the camp who's going to protect and guard him from falling. Uh, and he begins to climb this pole. Jesus had something better for him that day, and he was going to reach out and grab for it. So he climbs to the pole. He couldn't stand on top of the pole like everyone else did because his body wouldn't allow him to, but he managed to kind of crawl up onto the top and sit there. People cheered him on as he did that, and then he had to come down, and he couldn't jump for any trapeze pole, but he sort of lurched his body off the pole and he just sort of lurched and fell forward. And because he was on the rope, he was brought down to the ground, and he just sort of landed gently on his backside on the ground as his friends sat there clapping for him and cheering him on. My friend Peter, for him, faith acting in courage was a movement to go from his room, to come to the elements of this ropes course, to touch the pole, to climb, and these were his acts of faith in Jesus. That's what faith looked like. That day, you might just see a person walking across a, a mountainside to participate in the course. But all around him was faith shining brightly 
if you looked below the surface, what was happening was a person compelled to take a risk in faith and encourage. Look at Peter climbing the pole. That's what faith that acts with courage looks like. Christian faith is seen in acts of courage by a confidence in Jesus, his words of truth, his power to heal, his healing. But most importantly, it invites the power of Jesus to bring a new way of living a new life. A faith that risks, another observation I'm making from this text, is that it invites the power of Jesus. When we step forward and take that step to reach out and touch the cloak of Jesus, it invites the power of Jesus to be made known. In the text, the pace picks up at this portion of the text. Immediately, immediately, the text says. Twice that word is used to describe uh, the woman's recognizing that the hemorrhage had stopped, the bleeding had stopped. Immediately, it says, Jesus' new power had gone forth from him. If you're watching this through the, a camera lens, you, see the, you would see the pace of the, the film picking up with the woman and Jesus beginning to interact and move towards an interaction together. Jesus turned about, the text says. Who touched my clothes? Despite the crowds around him, he knew and recognized that something had happened that was different because of someone touching him. Notice Mark's repetition of the phrase, who touched me, who touched me? Jesus is stopped in his tracks by a nameless woman who's ill, but who possesses uniquely among everyone in the crowd a confidence in Jesus. The text goes on to say he looks all around. Can you envision it? Jesus stopping in the midst of this entourage to look all around, knowing that someone has touched him and power has gone out from him. Like a parent who discerns the distinctive cry of their child in a crowd, or a parent who's looking for a lost one, a little one who's wandered away, maybe a child that's been on a, a busy Russell Street in Causeway Bay and looking for their child who's wandered away. Uh, Jesus recognized a faith that risks, and he's intent on discovering the person who reached out. Jesus notices those who reach out in faith. We may be unseen, we may feel unrecognized, we may go unnoticed by others, in the midst of our struggles, but when we reach out to Jesus in faith, with whatever level of confidence we possess, we capture his attention. Take courage in this image today of the woman reaching out to touch Jesus' cloak. In Galatians 2, Paul says, The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. What does it take to look what does it look like to live by faith? It looks like hearing. It looks like believing. It looks like the woman going. And it looks like the woman touching. Jesus notices. Jesus turns about. Jesus looks all around. Don't hesitate to reach out to Jesus even this day. Well, as we round the corner to home base here, using a baseball analogy, come towards the end of this message. Let me observe that Jesus' power touches us often where we don't expect. Jesus' power physically healed this woman of courageous faith. Because of her faith, the power had gone forth from him, 
And the text really should have ended at verse 29. It's done. We see her faith. We see the power go forth. The healing happens. But the story keeps going. What she'd planned as a stealth healing, a kind of hit and run sort of healing and a power encounter with Jesus that would remain concealed was now unraveling into a very public event. Her greatest fear was coming to pass, public exposure. Trembling with fear at the social and religious consequences of being exposed and the consequences of touching Jesus as they overwhelmed her, she came, she fell down before Jesus and acknowledged that it was she who had touched him. She had courageous faith in Jesus' power to be made well, physically. But Jesus had an extravagant love that expressed itself in a power that made her well in ways more than she could ever imagine. Like a father who finds a crying child in the midst of a crowd, Jesus listens. A faith that risks also discovers Jesus' love. That's what we see happening here in ways that this woman could never have imagined. She came and told the whole truth. What did she tell the truth about? The text doesn't tell us of her encounter with him, of her pushing through the crowd. Yes, but I wonder if the whole truth that she had to express to Jesus was the story of her experience of life, living with this disease. I think that Jesus stopped and listened to this woman tell her whole story of 12 years of pain, of alienation, of rejection, of abuse by doctors, of losing all of her money, of despair, of desperateness. In Jesus, he waits and he listens. Can you hear the clock ticking? Tick, tick, tick. The entourage has stopped. In Jesus with the woman listens and waits, listens and waits. And she spills forth as fast as her words and emotions will allow the drama that had been her existence for 12 long years. Jesus stopped with this woman whose faith risked to touch him to now listen with a lavish attention to complete the full healing that this woman needed that maybe she didn't even recognize. The full healing by stopping and listening, it would restore her legitimacy as a person to reestablish her presence in the community, to recognize her value and worth, to define her identity as a daughter of God, and sort of underneath the surface to establish Jesus' identity and presence as God the Father. But then what Jesus did is little different than what any parent would do for their child. He says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Well, let me tell you about my friend Peter. Peter, uh, he passed away uh, some years after he graduated from college as cancer came into his life, somewhat unrelated from his multiple cirrhosis and brought uh, his life, his physical life, to an end. I remember meeting with Peter uh, the week before he passed in Southern California, back in the States. He knew that his body was failing, but his spirit was free and flourishing in a way that I didn't expect. 
He had found freedom in the power of Jesus' touch from fear, pressures to perform, and others' opinion. He told me that day at the ropes course what he had heard about Jesus, what he knew about his condition, and the move of the Spirit had intersected his story and Jesus' story, had come together to bring for him a new life of freedom to live by faith and confidence in God that he had never known. Over all the years of his life, he was only 21, but over his years of life in the church and in Christian community and schools, there was something in that moment that was releasing for him. It was sacred visit to be with him that day, to see his joy. He was a living example for me of Galatians 2, where Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live but it's Christ who lives within me. In the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I want to invite the worship team to come up and I want to ask a few questions as they come and lead us into a song of worship and then we'll move into a time of the Lord's Supper and communion. How would you characterize your faith today? Is it an onlooking faith, a faith that observes Jesus politely from the back of the crowd or at a distance? You've heard about Jesus, but he's kind of out there. You haven't experienced him in a place of intimate belonging, but you want to know Jesus in here. Today's a day where you could take a step with whatever amount of belief you have forward to touch the cloak and invite Jesus into a place where you would know him in a more intimate way. Perhaps for some of us here today, the nature of your faith is, it's not an onlooking faith, it's simply a lack of faith. Fear of exposure, what Jesus will require of you. Will Jesus actually come through? What does Jesus have to give to you? And do you trust that he will actually do that? You know that you're sick and you want change, but you're not confident that Jesus would actually want to bring about change in your life. The invitation I think today for those of us in that place is simply to take the little seed of faith that maybe might be there. You're here in this place today. There's a reason that you're here. And to let that seed of faith flourish. And it's to touch the cloak of Jesus with whatever amount of faith you bring. Today, some of you might have fearful faith you do feel fearful of what a new life that Jesus would want to offer to you, the kind of change or transformation you'd want to bring, what it might require of you. It feels, it feels fearful to you. But Jesus is ready to stop, to turn around, and to recognize you. So if you have a fearful faith today, the invitation again is to come, to take a risk and grab for the cloak. And then for some of us here in the room, It's not an onlooking faith or a lack of faith or a fearful faith, uh, but we come today with a believing faith, a believing faith that's actually ready to act, ready to go, ready to touch, ready to grab hold of the invitation that Jesus is bringing to you as you've offered your life under his leadership. And so the invitation today is simply to go for it, to say yes to Jesus. Whatever he might be saying to you today, with the kind of, uh, kind of faith that risks that you carry within you and to allow Jesus to 
usher you into a new place of living, confidence, hope, really a way of living by faith, which is what Paul talks about through Galatians and what you've been studying together. What does it mean to live by faith? Today, let's let the Spirit invite us to take with whatever level of faith we have the next step forward that he has for each of us and maybe for you as a community, as a church here into the new life that Jesus wants to bring, even as he gave new life to my friend Peter and obviously in our text to this woman who came forth in faith. So I'll let the worship team lead us now. Continue in worship together.